Welcome to the Ankler Podcast. This is Sean McNulty from the Wake Up Newsletter here at the Ankler on the afternoon of Thursday, February 1st here in New York City, where the last day we saw the sun and blue sky here was the last day I shaved. So, uh, Elaine, how am I looking right now? Quite scruffy, Sean. <laughs> That's some <laughs> indication of uh, what's happening in our fine city. We have another two days before we see the sun. Uh, Richard, I feel like it's going to be like the end of Total Recall, where we come out in celebration we see blue sky outside, Richard. Yes. We're raining here in L.A. today, which is uh, a great occasion. You guys should try just, like, living with sun all the time because then it makes rain <laughs> oh, really – uh, oh, We're doing it all like, wrong here, apparently. All right. We're doing, yeah, winter all wrong. Being cold and gray all the time, and you're get, you got it backwards. Yeah, well, I'll put a note in there. That, of course, is Richard Rushfield and Elaine Lowe in Los Angeles. And Peter Kiefer is joining today for the conversation. Peter, good to see you. As my unintended beard, Kiefer approved, or, uh, you know, you're the, the outdoorsman here of the group, I feel like. You're looking adequately rugged right now, so <laughs> I, I approve. I approve. have a good shining look going on. It's very good, yeah. Exactly. He's going to send you some flannel right after we're done recording. <laughs> exactly. Needs more flannel, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and a, and a fishing pole, yes. Yeah, so it's on its way. Fantastic. <laughs> Richard, it's it's now February, so does that mean the layoffs stop? You know the local customs better than I do, so is that what signals this on February 1st here? Are we done? The beatings will continue until morale improves, oh, I, oh I think, is the, uh, is the motto uh, here. But no, there's no reason to think that we're done with layoffs and that we've reached a bottom here. It might be a pause or a... Uh, clearing of the throat, but the pain will continue until someone figures out how to stop it. Yeah, exactly. Elena started a new section in the wake up uh, today in job cuts, which I just, you know, brutal. uh, There's no, there's enough material. I was like, ah, usually I'll throw, you know, something in the, you know, as things come up, but I'm like, it was every day and it was like three items. I'm like, I need to start putting a section in here just for this news because it's just like, although I will say in my upcoming series business newsletter, we will be going over where the pockets of growth are amid all all the bleakness. I like it. The new February. We're into it. All right. Elaine's got the spirit. I love it. Before we dive into this week's topics, though, the Ankler itself was a, a bit of news this week. A new partnership is afoot with LA's number one NPR station. That would be uh, 89.3 LAist. I, th- I think still formerly and forever KPCC, but also known as LAist now. Exactly. The uh, number one NPR station in Los Angeles. Uh, anyway, they're Southern California Public Radio's flagship radio station and digital news site. And uh, together, we'll be reaching a combined audience of about 10 million folks. Ooh, Elaine, get ready for that. We started something today, actually. Elaine, I think you were involved in this, called Entertainment Thursday. So the Ankler team will be on air for entertainment segments every Thursday during the following shows. That's Morning Edition from 5 to 9 a.m., Air Talk from 9 to 11, and All Things Considered from 1 to 2, and between 4 and 6.30. That's all Pacific time, of course. In addition, the Ankler team will also cover breaking entertainment news as it happens. LAS will feature the Ankler's entertainment coverage on its homepage, in its morning newsletter, and of course, across its social channels. So Elaine, you kicked us off this morning. Was that the gist here that I heard? Yeah, I had a great chat with Suzanne Watley on Morning Edition this morning about uh, just, you know, the state of the unscripted business as I went over in my uh, latest series business newsletter. So, you know, we'll be we'll be talking to them every Thursday from here on out. It'll be great. It'll be great to bring more of our news to the LAist audience and more LAist listeners over to the Ankler. All right. Look forward to Richard's uh, 6 a.m. reports. I think that'll be exciting to see how that goes. Yes. I'm the entertainment for KPCC. So I'm working, working on a few songs. Uh, oh, oh, okay. They, got a whole vaudeville right. act planned. They tell me you can't <laughs> dance on radio. So uh, 
So I'll have to find a way to communicate that without in, in written words there. Richard Rushfield trailblazing in yet another medium out there. But uh, Richard, <laughs> of course, you handicapped the open head at the top of Netflix films this week, which we'll, we'll get into. And Peter had some breaking news this week as well, a bit of a surprise buyer for a West Side LA institution, uh, the Fox Theater, which we'll get into in a bit. But first, Richard, are you enjoying your Amazon Prime commercials? Are you been enjoying uh, getting some new products, getting some new information as you watch your Amazon Prime this week? Yes. As I've been deep in my Amazon Prime watching the games, there were the games on this week, right? Well, a little bit further back. That, that's over now, Richard. But it was a nice oh. thought. You can, you can, yeah. They are on demand. You could watch <laughs> old NFL games if you want to do that, Richard, so you can catch up. But I could. I could watch them from 1953 and I wouldn't know the difference. So uh, <laughs> exactly. that's probably true. Maybe we should become an NFL completist and uh, watch the NFL from its inception. Uh, you are, and the, the folks at Pluto, Richard, do have you covered. They have a Super Bowl channel running every Super Bowl ever, except for three until the Super Bowl on February 11th. So you, you, you know, you're joking, but you can actually do that over on Pluto yeah, now. It's so, not uh, fair to watch the Super Bowl if you haven't watched the whole season. <laughs> oh, right? you have to watch the whole season. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, you, you are a completist to the end. But Elaine, some reports out there, uh, you know, probably more headlines, but some some short writers in talent a little upset that they're getting ads and their and their television shows. Elaine, how could they? It's terrible. Advertising and television. How could we go back to the old what ways? Happened? Well, you know, everything old is new again, and some people are happy about it, and some people aren't, yeah. I guess. Uh-huh. Well, in Hollywood, that never happens, Atlanta. <laughs> we all just, nobody's ever had any issues at all. So anyway, we shall see how that uh, shakes out. Actually, we won't because Amazon never reports any data about their, <laughs> their streaming business. So, But I'm chum. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. Done and done. But over in Hollywood, Elaine, you know, we had a, a good... I'm going to say, you know, a 10-week run without any fiery language between guilds and studios. Not bad. Um, IATSE kind of popped its head out this week a little bit. Yeah, we'll see if I'll have to rev up the old Strike Guys newsletter again in a couple of months. <laughs> exactly. Still have the password over there, Elaine? Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so we already knew that IATSE was going into negotiations starting in March. Uh, according to a recent deadline report, apparently that date is going to be March 4th. So we're just a month out from those negotiations. We still have yet to see exactly what those demands are going to be, but presumably they have to do with you know, pay equity, pay increases, kind of the usual things that you see from these kinds of contracts. But yes, looks like IATSE and the Teamsters are ready to go to bat if they have to. Put some quotes out already and just, you know, get, getting the, the PR wheels turning, uh, you know, uh, greased up again there lane to uh, see what happens. But as you said, still a month out and then still, was that five months before I guess the deal's up? Their about? contract doesn't end until the end of July. So, so there, there's a fair ways out there. They're getting those negotiations starting some months early. Yeah. So hopefully, uh, hey, look, it could maybe they'll go get it done super early, Elaine, right? It's not, you know, it's, it's possible. Fingers crossed for everybody. Stranger things have happened. So the uh, amount of production that's ramping up already would be another pause, and that would be a bit of a problem. But let's yeah, dive into your column this week. Your second in your series business. I got it right this time. Nice. <laughs> Very nice. Thank you. I appreciate Thank that. You. No problem. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate you getting in my column right, Sean. Thanks a lot. <laughs> Where you dove into the world of unscripted, which doesn't sound like is necessarily ripe for innovation as we start 2024 here, Elaine? No, I mean, look, we've had the same kinds of formats of shows that have really worked for the unscripted space. Like, especially when you're talking about reality TV, it's what? It's the dating shows, it's certain kind of cooking shows. There are these genres that are tried and true. And uh, you talking to some unscripted producers, somebody you talked to said it was like putting old wine in a new bottle sometimes <laughs> when you're working with these formats of trying to sort of make things seem fresh. But, you know, I, I really sort of took a look at the, the WWE deal last week, which like, mm. yes, is a live deal. It's a sports deal. 
But in some ways, like, could it also open the door to more unscripted talk? Because when you look at the WWE, as Brandon Reed said so himself at the Netflix presentation, sports is the ultimate soap opera. And, you know, you're looking for these people stories. You're looking for a reality. And it's like, you know, you take a, a really successful uh, basic cable staple like the WWE and you put it on Netflix. And I just wonder, like, what other kinds of adjacent doors does that wind up opening? Especially when you look at the unscripted space, right? Like, where could a place like Netflix or any other streamer that has live capabilities really start to capitalize on uh, unscripted programming? Game shows, talent competitions, anything that requires a live format like The Voice or America's Got Talent, where in the live playoff section, they start to, you know, dial in and get the audience to vote while they're watching live. I think this really opens up a lot of doors to to streamers. Yeah. And certainly Peacock with the big NFL game, the wildcard game, the live yeah. streaming, they live stream sports, you know, uh, that's also on, on NBC at the time, but there's no reason why they couldn't, you know, they're very well versed in live streaming. Uh, yeah, do something which with be The a- Voice, who's to say? It could be a voice finale. It could be the Traders is very big there. There could be something there, right? Uh, Richard, are you a Traders man? I haven't watched it, but I do notice it getting a lot of buzz out there. You in for a live Bachelorette finale? <laughs> I'm still going with Survivor. Uh, oh, Survivor. That's true. I'm, All right. I'm still on the Survivor train. Paramount Plus. All right. I don't know. Peter, how about you? You know, this whole revolution just sort of swept over me in a way that I can't say I participated very much, but I'm happy that Elaine's here as our expert because I, I know very little about it, nor do I consume much of it. There you go. Well, Elaine, seems like Matt. Max is a player in Unscripted is changing a bit. They were really active there for a good two years. I mean, I was just like trailers being dropped all the time for all these series. And I don't really see as much of that anymore. So what's happening over there? Well, prior to Warner Media and Discovery merging, I think you saw some really high-end production value in the unscripted space over at Warner's, right? Like you had Legendary and Selena plus Chef, like things must have had a high price tag to them with very high production value. And after the Discovery merger, we saw a real pairing back of that unscripted space taking what it seems like fewer high-end unscripted swings. So, you know, we've just seen the budgets kind of come down around the unscripted space across the board. So it's like, what are the areas for innovation? What are some areas that might be ripe to capitalize on that could capture that really breaks through the noise? And something that somebody had brought up was actually jury duty, which I didn't really think of as like traditional reality TV because it's largely, you know, it's from two guys who used to write for The Office. It's, you know, a bunch of actors. You have James Marsden. You really only have the one guy being Truman Show. Who's unscripted. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But it's like, it's a lot of improv. It's a lot of unscripted. And then you look at sort of the, um, the other things like Nathan Fielder's The Rehearsal over on HBO, mm. which had a lot of people going, is this real? Is this scripted? Are they actors? Are they not? And it's something that generates conversation. It was so good and so strange and very buzzy and made for good water cooler chatter. And I had spoken to a, a major unscripted production executive who said, yeah, like social experiment might be mm. the the hot thing this year. Which kind of goes back to like punked. Like, you know, in a yes. sense of like, you know, but like an again. upscale punk, um, an elevated <laughs> punk. We're elevating everything these days. We're losing the apostrophe and putting an ED in there. No, no apostrophe. So it's, it's a classier punk'd version. All grown up. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, great read over there, Elaine. Uh, a lot of, a lot of new intel on the front of the unscripted world, which, yeah, you know, I mean, there was, a, you know, I've written about, but you know, the, the big bump out of the, the strike in 2007, 2008 was a huge moment for reality or reality or unscripted, you know, call what you and like. we didn't but see that this past year. This time, the, yeah. the pipelines were all 
already full. Every unscripted producer I talked to said, no, you know, they really just, there wasn't a clamoring for that kind of programming and things are still relatively dry. Yeah, there was a high level and just we'll still maintain that versus some sort of a, a boon, uh, a shift to it more so, yeah, budget-wise. But great, we well, can check that read again over at theankler.com. Up next, Richard takes on the role of Grand Mentioner and puts some odds on the race to fill the top slot at Netflix Films. It seems to say Richard Rushfield, four to one. Oh, Richard, well done. Nice job. <laughs> I'm I'm the favorite. <laughs> Spoiler alert. Richard, Heavy favorite. Top of the list. He's going to commission five more Stray style movies. Exactly. <laughs> First order, Stray's two, three, and, and four. I'm not, ab- <laughs> I'm not above starting some whispering campaigns about anybody else who might rise up that list behind me. It's a dangerous position you're in, Richard. All right, we'll be back in a moment to get into that list. For your consideration, Max, presenting the HBO original Succession. Don't miss the series IndieWire calls the end-all, be-all of TV. Nominated for five SAG awards, including outstanding performance by an ensemble in a drama series, Succession is streaming now on Max. So Richard, first you were at the big reveal of the 2024 TV and film Netflix slate last night. How was the buffet? Was there food there for you? Or first, the first things first? There was food after the presentation. Oh, you had to wait for it. Uh-oh. Uh, yeah, they did make it. They gave you popcorn to take into the, the show, oh. though. So that was good. That tied me up. It was very, it, not, not bad popcorn. And it was past hors d'oeuvres afterwards rather than a buffet, which normally would be alarming, you'd say. Am I really going to make a meal out of this? But the cuisine was both ample and well thought through. So thumbs up on the culinary side of Netflix. I mean, it was interesting to see the whole Netflix slate laid out from film to the shows to the reality shows and the live events to the international things and all they're doing. And as ever with Netflix, it's just kind of stunning how much they have going on in how many different areas. Like, mm. who else has this kind of a Latin American operation that's mm. filming? You know, they're they're making Gabriel Garcia Marquez's 100 Years of Solitude into a, this giant miniseries. And they have this, this Argentine uh, sci-fi series that's coming up. And there's just so many different things they're doing in so many different places and so many different genres. That, and you just take it all in and you just say, who is even trying to catch up with this? Who's who's yeah. even in the same game as this? Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, one person not on the stage was uh, Scott Stuber, the departing Netflix film's head, which is certainly the biggest open job in Hollywood right now. So, Richard, you put on your uh, your HR hat this week for a breakdown of what could lie ahead for one of the most, I think, well-paid jobs in Hollywood. He was reported to be making about 17 or $18 million a year, which is also Richard's salary. Well, that's interesting. <laughs> so, uh, Richard, what are you thinking about here in regards to the big job opening in Hollywood here? Yeah, I mean, and it, as far as film goes, it is the big job. If you, if you judge power in film by how much you can green light there's no film job that's even close to this there's in in terms of sheer tonnage and the the amount you're making and the budgets you can you can bring behind this this is massively the biggest film job yeah and i will note they released their you know their slate for the year richard last night and it was you know 51 films about that includes about 10 documentaries and that's english only so that's just for 2024 on that slate so that's you know at least 40 scripted films and and 51 projects total so I mean, and compared to Disney puts out like that uh, their slate this year. year? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> How do you it's, think it's, it's ten this year? Yeah. I mean, they're big movies and they get a lot of attention. Right, but right. It's a massively important job and you do a lot with it. So as this job is open, everyone is being mentioned. Everyone 
in any job of significance or any who's ever been in any job of significance or aspired to any job of significance. You hear rumors that they have just closed up. Their interview went great and, and it's all done. They've flown up north to kiss Reed's ring and it's all done. I've heard of a hundred different people who have the job locked up now. Certainly everyone who is at a number two position at any studio is uh, considered a front runner for this job. But, you know, I tried, I tried this week to sort out, like, what are they really looking for? What are the qualities that they would really want here? And, and who are the people who check the most of those boxes? And, yeah. you know, I think they definitely seem to want someone with executive experience. One would think not a producer, although there's a lot of producers' names in the mix. The tough thing is you want someone who's really function within Hollywood and can get movies made and push them through bureaucracies and all that and has relations with talent, has relations with filmmakers, but also someone who can function in a very different kind of environment and a very different kind of culture there uh, do things. So someone who's climbed to the top of the mountain but still has a little spring in their step. So some of the names I mentioned as checking those boxes, Emma Watts, Sean Bailey, to Toby Emmerich, Mary Parent were the names that I heard the most, and I added another name to the list today, uh, Dan mm. Lin, who oh, yeah. uh, has a, a lot of different kinds of experience, has done a lot of different kinds of movies, and has also been an executive, and is well-liked and well-regarded by all. There's a low drama that seems to be something that uh, is important to them, not a, not a person who creates a lot of attention to themselves or yeah, yeah, drama yeah, yeah. and animosity and all all that. So those are my top five candidates right now. But the, the number one candidate remains nobody that uh, they they turn to Scott Stuber's very able deputies and right. uh, and have them run it. Because if you put someone above them now, you risk alienating that team also. True, true. You know, I just I roll presumably reports into Bella, Richard. I mean, uh, the official word there, but that's the understanding yeah, I would think, right? I, I think that's clear that that Bella is the one running the search, and the person will be reporting to her. So, yeah, no, but you outlined the you know the buckets, and it's either you know someone who's been a studio head in the past, uh, either or has a job right now as a studio head, and that that one seemed a little you know light. Just people you know who were maybe unhappy or something like that. That that list seemed the shortest to me, Richard. Of you know those candidates. I mean, it's very hard to to think of if you've gotten to the point of right running running a Hollywood yeah. studio like. To say you're going to come into this newfangled culture where, you know, they until recently uh, assistants could go in on your personal memos and leave comments on them or something <laughs> like The Netflix is, culture it, is uh, unique to walk into, yeah, it, if you're not used to it. it it's very hard to uh, imagine someone at the Tom Rothman le- level just uh, – Right. Submitting to that at, at, the, at this yeah, point. Screwed. I'm going to Netflix. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It, is, uh, it is not, you know, again, not happy where they are, you know, currently um, where, you know, listen, there's a lot of, lot of activity going on there. And then, uh, you know, the other bucket, as you mentioned, you know, are, you know, big producers. But again, if you haven't had that, if you never run a studio, it's like, you know, that job, as you, me- you know, mentioned, it's a lot of volume. It's not about necessarily executing each individual yeah. film <laughs> to a T. It's more about managing a lot more than, you know the entrepreneurial producer skills. I, I really do think from what I've heard that executive experience is near the top of the uh, qualifications list for them because it's a, yeah. it's a big company to manage your way through and to, to find if you're, if you've never managed in a giant company like that before, it could just 
swallow you whole. Yeah. And just say we have 40 films a year, you know, at least to manage. And, you know, there was no indication from Bella yesterday that that, you know, volume would be changing or things along those lines. Anything, you know, other than business as usual was the plan ahead, Richard. But, uh, you know, and when, look, when Scott came in, you know, I think you mentioned this in your, in your column or last week, but, you know, he defined Netflix films. He didn't inherit anything. You know, he was the the built it. You know, essentially, Richard, and he had to, you know had this unique background of having both run Universal, you know, or co-run Universal for a while, and was uh, producing a lot of big films. You know, from Ted to you know Safe House to a lot of Peter Berg movies, and you know he had that kind of dual resume, Richard, which is a yeah. you know not a long list of people who have both of those things, right? No, it's not, and 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 who have done it without having some you know. Horrible, right. embarrassing debacle yep. that has uh, derailed yep. your career and sent you off to medical school. Yeah, but Peter, whoever they choose, you know, and the the capable hands that come in the door will also somewhat indicate what Bella's vision for Netflix films might be for the next you know five years, whatever it might be. And the person they choose may indicate a lot about what the strategy is outside of just the the role that's open. Yeah, I mean, exactly. And I think that that is the burning question. Bella obviously comes out of the world of television. And I think she's quite capable to figure out how the the film side of the business is working. But I think that from what I hear, that the question is, everyone's just wondering what is her vision and what is the strategy that she's ultimately going to want to impose. But I mean, I think that the search for Scott's Stuber's replacement is particularly interesting when just referring back to Richard's earlier comment is just the sheer volume that that place is producing and plans on producing every year. This is not... A type of job where you're you're going to jump over and it's a you know you're staring down a five movie slate and you get to fill right. two or, it is this is just like an unbelievable amount of films that many of which have already left the station and are in various phases true so true. it's like it's a very unique opportunity in a very unique slot uh to fill and not to mention as richard said earlier don't underestimate the learning curve of the culture inside Netflix. They take that stuff very seriously. They always have. And so it's not like you can just plop into that place and you're going to have it all dialed in right away. It's 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 just totally different. And just the, the volume mixed with the, the unique culture that they take very, very seriously over there is going to make wh- whosever job this is, is going to be, a, it's going to be a tricky one. And I'm, it's very eager to see if they can find the right person. On the volume front, you basically need a film person with a TV metabolism, right? Right. Yeah. It's kind of the job right. description. Yeah. Right. <laughs> right. And and they have so many things, and like I said, there's just there's so many things in so many phases. It's so you know I think to Richard's point, you're going to have to be able to have amazing executive management, and obviously the person is going to have to have connections to the creative community because uh, that was one of Stuber's uh, right. great strengths is yep. that he was a real champion of the filmmaker class and had great relationships with all the agencies and the top agents, the Brian Lords and the Ari Emanuels. And so that is going to be, it's hands down going to be a prerequisite for this job. But yeah, it's going to be very interesting who they, who they land on. I, I put on my application resume, by the way, the, the thing they say about surviving at the Netflix culture is you have to be very open to criticism and, mm. and, and taking criticism. I, I made it clear I'm not open to criticism. And, oh, uh, I oh, won't. Well. I won't be taking criticism when I'm, Positive I'm, feedback when I'm in the only, job. Please. So, yeah, yeah. <laughs> pe- pe- people can. I, I'm happy to talk to people about how great what we the decisions we made were. So. Richard, I'm sorry. I think your odds just fell. I hate to tell you, but uh, that's, that's a bit of a hit to blow your. That's a blow. Dan Lynn is now in the lead. I'm sorry. He's, he's overtaking Rushfield. 
I, I, I think uh, you know when they when they try my spaghetti carbonara, I think that'll even <laughs> the scales. Over, right. yeah, Richard has so. plans, yeah. uh, but you know, Richard, I will say, you know, Bell is picking that, but Ted wants his Oscar still, you know. So uh, who's ever doing that job also has to have that in their mix, Richard. Yeah, they're not ending the prestige campaign, and you know, why should they? It, even even if they haven't got the the biggest statue, they get a lot of them, and they get a lot. Nominations, which are worth a lot of a lot of publicity for them every year. Yeah, no, it's still uh, you know the Maestro was a big one this year. But one thing Bella did say on stage, uh, reiterated, uh, Elaine was you know uh, theatrical is not in the mix there at Netflix and just to, for the, for the cheap seats, uh, that's not nowhere near the new strategy here, Elaine. No, it's the uh, the straight to home video crowd only, please. Yeah, right. So don't 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 put that as the top of your. What would you do with Netflix films? Uh, do not cross out cross out theatrical if you have it on your on your list. But uh, anyway, you can go read uh, Richard's great uh, analyses over there and odds making uh, at theanchor.com. And up next, Peter's going to dive into his A list scoop over on an LA institution. We'll be right back in a moment. All right, Peter, you had some new information this week about a place that I'm guessing Richard spent a lot of time, but I don't really know, in west side of L.A. Uh, Peter, what's going on here? Um, I mean, full disclosure, Richard actually got the original tip. I just sort of oh. executed on it. Okay. Oh, it's a, two, oh, it's a two-hander. Yeah. I love yeah. it. But yeah, no, we uh, broke some news yesterday that the iconic Fox Village Theater in Westwood Village was on the cusp of being bought by a contingent of, you know, very prominent industry people. And that new ownership group is being led by the director, Jason Reitman. Mm. And we were able to confirm that the theater, which can hold about 1,400, I think has 1,400 seats, uh, is in escrow. And that uh, Jason is, in fact, one of several people who have banded together to buy this, this theater, which had been on the market for about a year. Uh, I don't know the details. The deal hasn't fully closed, but I believe it's very, very close to closing. And I think ultimately it's it's pretty exciting. I think it's cool that Jason's stepping up and he's put together this group. Richard and I had long discussions about it as I was, you know, putting together the story. Uh, Richard lives in Westwood. We both grew up in Los Angeles. And the story was cool. Within the pantheon of great theaters, the Fox Village is just right up there at the top in Los Angeles. And so it's it's been a huge part of the cultural scene here in Los Angeles. But when I was sort of thinking about the story and we actually had confirmation, I really kind of wanted to use it as an opportunity to sort of engage in some nostalgia about what the film scene in Westwood uh, used to be. I was very excited about this story because it allowed me to sort of reminisce and think <laughs> back of all the times in the weekends that I spent taking the bus into Westwood. And I, I would go, I'd get there at 10 a.m. and I'd leave at around 6 p.m. And, oh, wow. you know, this is back in the old days when you could sort of roll in with like 10 bucks in your pocket and, you know, <laughs> catch a matinee, get a burger, snow cone, go. and still have a couple quarters left over to play <laughs> at the arcade. The whole city came to Westwood yeah. every, every, every weekend. There were two places to see movies then. It was Westwood or Hollywood Boulevard. That was it. And there were 20-some screens in the village. That uh, <laughs> was where everyone came. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so it's interesting. But in, in recent years, as I get into in the story, is that that scene is gone, which is it's quite sad. Westwood has sort of fallen into a bit of a slump for retail and commercial. And it's kind of this become, sadly, this dead zone where there's just not a lot happening. And there's all sorts of reasons for that. Uh, so 
the news that Jason is taking on this task is, I think, is cool. I think there's an opportunity here. I think it'd be great. I, we don't know exactly what he's going to do. I, I sort of did a little bit of sleuthing around, and there's a slight opportunity for him to sort of develop around the theater. It is a landmark, and if it's uh, it's got landmark status, so there's you can't really do much to it. It needs a retrofit, is what I'm told. So they're going to have to spend some money on sprucing it up. But sure. there could be an opportunity that they are going to try and revitalize that section of Westwood uh, and bring it hopefully some partially back to its glory days. But you know, it also speaks to this notion that the theater going public in Los Angeles is just not you know it's not it's not what it was. And hmm. I don't think it's a great sign when you have to see wealthy private Angelino stepping in to sort of like save these places or try and bring them back. It's like, you know, you Tarantino has done this for a couple theaters in Los Angeles, and now you're seeing Jason and whoever else is involved in his crew doing this. So on the one hand, I think it's a very like honorable thing that he's doing. On the other, though, it's sort of like, yikes. It's like we've gotten to the point where we need, you know, wealthy private citizens who, who have a, you know, it's almost a passion project of theirs mm. to, to, to save these things. So Oh, that sounds like journalism, well. Peter. I know. I was, like I know. <laughs> Can you buy the LA Times too, Peter? Or is that I, a, I, no. Yeah, I know. I did not want to make that analogy, <laughs> Elaine, because that it was too depressing over the, what's happened over the last two weeks. But uh, yes, yes, you, uh, you're you not wrong. So so yeah, it's a, it, it was a fun story, uh, you know, and I kind of did a, a little inventory on all the theaters that used to be there. I, I landed an interview with Brett Easton Ellis, who like uh, in his most wonderful book called The Shards, he spends a good section of that novel uh, that's sort of loosely based on his upbringing in Los Angeles at the Fox Village Theater. So yeah, I, we'll see what happens. And I, I'm dying to talk to Jason when he's ready and I, we would definitely do a follow-up. But yeah, it was, it was a fun story to write and it sort of allowed me to sort of reminisce about my own upbringing in Los Angeles. And for our listeners who are Westsiders, it's the Village Theater and not the Bruin Theater as well across the street from it, right? It's just the right. Village Theater? It's just okay. just the Village Theater is is part of this transaction. Uh, they, they were owned by a trust, both of them, but the sale is only specific to the Vox Village Theater. Nice. Well, you know, Richard, uh, you know, filmmakers, you know, want to preserve the theatrical experience and give a lot of lip service to things. And it's, you know, maybe it's just, as Peter said, it's that time where, you know what, maybe it's time to do a little more than just say something and go out and do a little more. So it's, it's I, I find yeah. with you, Peter, I find it a little reassuring or, you know, uh, heartening that if this is the case here. I mean, it's a sad, it's a sad uh, state that this is what it's come to. Yeah, but but uh, if that's what Hollywood it can't preserve its film legacy uh, one way or another, it's, it's uh, really sad. Yeah. But people step up versus just doing nothing about it. So whether it be programming Turner Classic Movies or whatever it might be, Richard. I'd love to meet with the uh, consortium to talk about the concession stand and what uh, the, you need a consultant. Thoughts they, uh, what thoughts Richard they have has recommendations. That. Richard has ideas. I'll, I'll be at CinemaCon in a month uh, scouting. <laughs> doing some scouting. Yeah, you'd be the f- <laughs> official the scout. The innovations. The yeah, exactly. Uh, but a great read there. Uh, Jason, yeah, give uh, Peter a shout. Peter at theankler.com if you want to talk. He would love to hear more of what, uh, even even just reminisce about uh, old stories from uh, from the theater, I'm sure, Peter. Well, also, fun fact, Jason and I uh, overlapped in high school. So oh. he, there's even more stuff that we could sort then, of reminisce about. I so mean, Jason, Jason, if you're listening, come on, oh, man. man. Let's do it. 
<laughs> Peter at theankler.com. That's it. But in theaters uh, this weekend, Richard, we have yet another $200 million Apple film. Uh, Richard, I'm beginning to think that Apple doesn't have any ones on their calculators. I just That's my only <laughs> guess here as to uh, what's happening. We have uh, Argyle coming out. This one's tracking around 15 to 20 million. They're a third studio in six months. This one's out from Universal, Richard. You in on Argyle or what? Uh, what is, what's, your, what's your thoughts on this here? Uh, Matthew Vaughn is a distinguished yeah, uh, distinguished yeah. director. He's not a, not a hack and um, man, makes entertaining films mostly. That's uh, that's a lot of money for uh, th- this sort of film. And if you look at the track record of recent variations of this, but uh, you know, Apple's got money to spend. So if They're this is uh, if this is some sort of branding proposition for them, then then. Good for them for just like the people buying the movie theaters. Uh, good for them for keeping the <laughs> tradition of marketing movies alive. Yeah, exactly. Given we haven't had any wide releases in uh, two weeks now, so it's nice to just have a movie, one movie, wide release back in <laughs> back in the movie theater. So. As our uh, 2024 uh, doldrums continue on here, but I'll uh, we'll wrap it out here a little bit. What do you, you know? What do you guys? I haven't asked you. What have you watching these days? Now that NFL's over, Elaine, you know, a lot of free time in your hands. Mm, what do you guys? Yes. What are you watching? The what do you NFL. Got? That was what was consuming all my that was time. Was consuming Sean. your time, not <laughs> uh, 1 a.m. tennis matches. No. Yeah. I, well, I just came out of an Australian Open like you abyss. Nothing. You're, that oh, I just you're the sports mind. So, yeah, me the sports yeah. I was answer? just, I all was right. just in like a like a tennis. In the tennis right. world for two weeks. Okay, all right. So you're open. You're open to a new. A new I'm open uh, to suggestions if anyone wants to email me. Elaine's open. <laughs> Elaine.theankler.com. No matter what she should what she should watch. Richard, anything on your radar these days you're enjoying? I've started Masters of the Air, which is incredible oh. uh, TV, and yeah. something everyone should watch. I'm finishing Fargo, whatever season this is, which is which has also been a great season, and also uh, concluding uh, the run of For All Mankind, which was a show that touched greatness on on many. Many occasions. All right, Richard, the big Apple TV uh, guy yeah. here. Very, very impressive. <laughs> the, yeah, nice. I'm nice. the target demo, apparently. <laughs> we watch Argyle in four months. Uh, Peter, anything on your uh, on your radar? Yeah, you know, I've been working on a feature about documentary scenes, so I've been sort of boning up on some of those, and I actually just finished this Netflix docu-series, American Nightmare. Oh yeah, I've heard good things. It's a crazy story. I don't. I mean, I won't. I don't want to get into too much, but it definitely takes you on a wild ride. And I think they did a really fine job. But it is a. It is a. What a kooky tale. And um, basically, they thought somebody had gone girled, right? Totally. Yes. I mean, not, again, check it out. I didn't know much about it, but I have to say, I left it and I was just scratching my head, going, "Wow, what? That's a." That's a hell of a story. So, uh, so yes, I, I like that. And then I'm still trying to catch up on all the, the remaining Oscar films I haven't seen. Oh, okay. Nice. All right. Well, Lane, you'll be happy to know I have one episode left in season three of Succession. So uh, I'm almost I'm almost there. Oh, very nice. Oh, you know what I have been watching? I've been catching up on the second season of Breakpoint on Netflix. Oh, Breakpoint. So. Very on brand. <laughs> Getting ready for the new season. <laughs> I'm gonna dig back into my tennis TV streaming. You don't want to know what my one of my number one watch streaming services is that we don't talk about enough is tennis TV because no, that's I think like we, the we most do talk about it enough, streamer. and that was that was all we had to mention of no. it actually. So yeah, that's 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 good there. I just imagine Breakpoint's on a loop in your house. It just plays all the time on the screen <laughs> in your house. So that's how I picture the the low household. But uh, anyway, all right, that's a wrap for this week. I'll of course have the full Argyle and then some box office breakdown in the wake up on Sunday night and it's going to be a huge q4 earnings week elaine and richard and peter your excitement i'm sure richard is your earnings rules t-shirt and headband out of the wash from last week are you ready to go for the big week here i, I i've rented out a uh, a suite at the peninsula hotel to oh. uh 
just That's so a- I can I can have all my uh, my snack food and everything without being disturbed and immerse myself in the the wonders of earnings uh, of EBITDA and it's, it's going to be magical. All right, I've got clearly, my shirt that says "Great Quarter, guys, ready to great, go." So, <laughs> nice. clearly, I've been doing this all wrong. I have no wardrobe, and I have no suite at the Peninsula or a bathrobe to go with it. Uh, anyway, next week we have Fox, Disney, Lionsgate, plus Spotify, AMC Networks. So, yeah, somebody else is going to be hosting this podcast next week. So, I hope one of you threw up to it because my head's going to be in the freezer cooling down. But you can catch all those media nerd earnings breakdown reports in the wake up as well. And Elaine's going to have a new series business column on Monday for paid subscribers only. Elaine, any hints on what's afoot for Monday? Yeah, we're going to take a look at where you can find a job in this town these days. Wow, I like this. All right. Uh, Might be a little bit of an ambitious column this time around. (laughs) But listen, there's been so much bleak news, so many layoffs, obviously, with the consolidation and the strikes and everything happening. It's been a tough market out there. And so I wanted to see where are their pockets of growth? And like, if you're an entertainment staffer, if you're a writer, if you're a producer, where do you go from here? Yeah. You got me. I'm intrigued. So that'll be uh, coming out on Monday uh, again over at theankler.com where you can subscribe to get the full suite of newsletters and podcasts. And of course, email us anytime at podcasts at theankler.com and follow The Ankler on the socials at The Ankler. And of course, a big thank you for listening and uh, we'll see you next time. For your consideration, Max presenting The Last of Us, the HBO original series. Don't miss the critically acclaimed series Empire Calls a Masterpiece. Nominated for four SAG awards, including outstanding performance by an ensemble in a drama series, The Last of Us is now streaming on Max.